Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Armchair Survivalist. My name's Kurt Wilson. I'm the Armchair Survivalist, and today is February the 23rd in the year 2020. Now, if you go to armchairsurvivalist.com, you scroll down any of the pages there, armchairsurvivalist.com, you scroll down, you'll see all the different ways you can listen to me. First off, you can click on the chat room there, and you can listen in that space. Or if you scroll down, what you'll see are a whole bunch of different ways to listen. Uh, Stitcher, Pod, uh, Anchor, these are all podcast uh, venues. Podbean, iHeartRadio. I'm on YouTube. All my shows are on YouTube. I mean, I have, I don't know, two, 300 shows on YouTube. And then you scroll down a little more and you'll see the little satellite dish sweeping back and forth. That's Global Star 3 satellite. And you can listen there. There's two feeds there, 24-7 live feed. You can listen on, on uh, GSR Radio all 24 hours a day if you want then you can listen on your phone dial 641-741-0371 now this is not a toll-free number 641-741-0371 and if you miss any of the shows well on the left hand side you will see a little white nipper dog listening to the rca victor gramophone you click on that and that takes you to the armchair survivalist past shows and it lists all of the different shows for the current year I only keep the current year there. So the last one was uh, February 16th, and before that, February 9th, and then February 2nd. And on the left-hand side as well, you'll see a link that says show notes. Every show I do, my source notes, I post for you guys to read. If you go to show notes page, you'll see, oh, let's see, January 5th, Way to Happiness, January 12th, uh, Lugal's Iodine, January 19th, Stupid Things People Do. You get the idea? Each one of them will give you links to a page that actually has all of the sources that I have talked about, and there's a lot of them. So you get a whole bunch of stuff from my armchairsurvivalist.com website. All right, let's get some business out of the way. Uh, the store in Hayden, Idaho, Survival Enterprises, We just to let you guys know, some of you like this kind of stuff. We have specialized walking canes and walking sticks, and these are not just normal ones. They're made by Cold Steel. It's a knife company. That doesn't mean they have knives in them. It means these are high-quality, heavy-duty. You can beat a monkey to death with one of these things. They're, they're very strong canes. They're not normal. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. We still can't take credit cards or debit cards yet. We're working on that, and it's a political thing. has to do with uh, Idaho or and South Dakota, and so we're we're working on that, but we can take your checks, so if anybody wants to order anything, you can always call on the phone, give us your check over the phone. My wife handles all that stuff. I, I, don't, I don't mess with it. And just, uh, we, we sort of lost some of our income here, so I've decided to pull out of my vault a whole bunch of silver ounces, silver rounds. Those of you who know what they are, I'm selling them. I have a lot, and that's an understatement, because I've been collecting silver for 30 years at least. So whatever spot is, that spot is whatever the the price is set at, at kitco.com. You go to kitco, K-I-T-C-O.com. On the left-hand side, you scroll down a little bit, and you'll see silver prices. They've gone up a, a dollar an ounce in the past week alone, and they're going to be going up more, believe me. So we're selling silver ounces at the store. If anybody wants to invest in some precious metal now before silver hits 20 an ounce, get in. All right, we're going to open up with uh, the economy. Uh, Macy's stock. You remember Macy's, right? Macy's is still, you still see the stores around. Macy's are uh, some of the 
oldest link stores in the malls all around the United States. These are one of the Macy's and Penny's and Sears have always been the largest stores in malls. Well, Sears is gone now. Most of it is. It's uh, whichever one is still in existence isn't going to last another year. Macy's, the stock has been downgraded to junk. That's the uh, almost the last nail in a coffin for Macy's. They're going to be going out of a business. They're going to go out of business. There's no question about that. So any of you have gift cards for Macy's, you better use them quickly. Got a link here. Countless Fidelity accounts showing zero balance. These are this is a brokerage uh, uh, house that that people use. Fidelity. I don't know if you have Fidelity as their, your brokerage account. You have uh, online access, and you go there and you open it up. You open your account up, and it says uh, zero balance. Uh, they don't know what's going on, and they might have even have fixed it by now. But I have my doubts. This is this is an ongoing thing that's happening all over the world. China. What's happening in China right now is dominoing all the different economies worldwide. India's uh, uh, economy was heavily tied to China's. So we have India. India is going to be having bad problems. Now, remember, we're in the, the economic category here. Russian bombers. Okay, let me tell you what happened in Syria. Turkey has been moving armored vehicles into Syria, not invading, moving them in, in, in and, and basically pre-positioning them for an invasion. So there's hundreds and hundreds of these tanks, armored personnel carriers, things like that, that, that uh, Turkey's been moving in. So the Russians, and I'm paraphrasing all of this for you. So the Russians got called up Erdogan and said, hey, hey, dude, um, you know, you you guys are moving all your equipment in, into Syria, and that's not acceptable. And Erdogan goes, I don't know anything about it. And the Russians said, oh, okay, never mind, hung up and bombed him. So uh, Russia destroyed hundreds and hundreds of these armored vehicles, these Turkish armored, armored vehicles, which kind of pissed off Turkey. So they decided to uh, commence artillery shelling against uh, known bases in along the border there that have Russians in them. This is going to be, Russia doesn't, have a sense of humor when it comes to that. So things are going to be heating up really heavily in that area. And you can look at Russia and, Tur- and uh, Turkey going into war, which is a problem because Turkey's part of the UN. And you know how it is. It's a mutual ag- agreement uh, w- uh, that if one of them gets attacked, all of them gets attacked and then the UN is supposed to run to rescue Turkey. But for s- some insane reason, they made uh, a Muslim country part of it or not, not the UN, NATO. <laughs> this is all insanity. It's all insanity. I got a link uh, from a guy that's in China, and he was showing, I didn't even know what it was. He was showing me there was tens of thousands of people wearing masks milling around this building, and I had no idea what that's all about. He, he explained. He said, it's a bank run. People know in China that the banks are going to be going under, so they're rushing to get whatever money they can out. The police were sent in to move everybody away. And there's, I mean, there's 10,000 people there, and there's like 50 police. What do you think is going to happen? Nothing. <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out why exactly is, is everybody freaking out on this and, and in China and doing a bank run. And then I found out China has been building massively for the past five years or so, and you've seen some of these these articles of a big giant city is built, nobody lives there yet, bridges built go that go nowhere, all of this infrastructure improvement. Well, they didn't just dream the money up. They got loans from banks to do this. 
And now those debts are coming due and China has 0% gross national product. In other words, nothing's coming out of China. So they, they're not making any money and the people in China know that. So they're doing runs on the banks right now. This is another domino. It's going to be hitting our uh, banks in the United States. It's hitting banks in the UK and it's hitting banks in Russia and India. Be aware, this this is... Um, this thing that's happening right now in the world is a watershed event. Your life is going to be changed because of everything that's happening at once. This is a giant spider with its legs out. And each one of those legs is a different thing that's coming to the center. One of those legs is the pandemic. And it is a pandemic. One of those legs is economic failures. One of those legs is going to be food shortages. So you have all of these things that are going to be occurring at the same time. This is going to change some things. There's global crop failures worldwide. We have standing water in Indiana right now that's frozen. That's supposed to be wheat fields. We have so many croplands in the United States that can't be planted. Australia, because of all the fires they've had, not only did all the fires burn up any plants, but it stripped the, the, the ground from basically natural fertilizer, and they, the, the farmers in Australia can't plant. They're, they have crop failures there. Then you have the locust plague. This is, a, this is not a lightweight thing. There's a, the locusts bother the Middle East every year. Usually it's not this bad. But now I have a, a, a map here that shows, uh, and I'm astounded. This is not a lightweight thing. We're talking whole countries. The Sudan, Ethiopia, Somalia, Saudi Arabia, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iran, Iraq, Jordan, Bangladesh, India, Myanmar. These, these oh, it, it's even gotten bigger since the last time I looked. Down, down into uh, South Africa, Botswana, Zambia. These, this is the the plague of these uh, these locusts. China's got an idea about how to handle it. They just turned loose a hundred thousand ducks. I mean, it's just an organic pesticide. They'll, they'll theoretically they'll eat because they'll eat the the locusts because uh, China's being inundated now not only with not only with the Wuhan virus, the SARS virus is making a playback again. More different variant flu viruses are hitting China. At the same time, they have no production for food. And now here comes the locusts. Yeah, okay. Well, let's see. Good news here. South Dakota. South Dakota just put forth a bill. Uh, they introduced legislation against mandatory vaccination requirements in schools and against forced vaccines. Because you know how the government works. And if you don't, I'm going to explain it to you. 20 years ago, I was approached by a uh, sheriff in Kootenai County and he said uh, Mr. Wilson we wanted to uh, we wanted to know if you're willing to volunteer to guard the uh, mandatory vaccination uh, positions points that we are going to be setting up I said what do you mean you're going to be setting up he goes oh not right now but pretty soon we're going to have mandatory vaccines for all citizens and we know there's a lot of right-wing wackos who don't like that idea. So we would like to know ahead of time how many people we can have, because our law enforcement is not going to be able to handle it all, how many people 
we can count on to help guard the vaccination stations. Okay, that's a real thing that happened. And uh, I, I broke the news at the, with the Idaho Observer, and of course, Kootenai County Health denied the whole thing. Anyway, so South Dakota is coming out with a bill, and I'll have a, a, a copy of the bill and on my on my website. Now, here's something that I knew. I just now needed to show it to you guys. There was a study done. Researchers find a Western-style diet can impair brain function. Okay. In other words, when you eat crap, you know, fast food crap, instant crap, throw it in a microwave crap, it literally affects your brain function and makes you dumber. I'm not going to get into it. I don't have time. But you can go there and you can see this. And it's it proves my point. Uh, you are what you eat. When you eat crap, well, you become a Democrat. All right, now we're going to get into the Wuhan stuff. And there's there's a lot of stuff here. And I, I, I just going to have to go through it. The coronavirus. Now, the coronavirus is basically a cold virus. You get a cold, that's a coronavirus. So they're trying to change the word around to mean something different and not freak people out. I'm going to put it like I have. It's a Wuhan virus. It's that simple. You know what it is by that. The Wuhan virus can spread by people who are not showing symptoms. And basically what it is is that you, you, get, in, you get infected, yet your immune system won't allow the virus to duplicate in your body. So you become what's called a carrier. So these carriers are spreading the virus. Now, it has been proven, and I have, I have the, the testing. This virus has a 24-day, minimum 24-day incubation period. Minimum. The virus itself can live up to 28 days on a non-invasive uh, or non-dangerous uh, surface. In other words, some surface that hasn't been sprayed down with, with uh, Clorox or something. So the virus can live 28 days. It's a 24-day incubation period. Remember that, okay? 24-day incubation period. I'm going to say that every show. This is proven, scientifically proven. Wuhan, China has not just been locked down. Uh, they just deployed 40 portable incinerators to Wuhan. Wuhan is one of the largest cities in China. China is sealed shut as best as the Chinese government can do. See, one of the problems that we have... And I and I don't want it to get into a racist type thing, but communists, communists have no societal responsibility levels. They have no societal responsibility. If a guy, if a man is told, if you die, your death can save a thousand people, they'll say, "Screw you." This is this is symptomatic of communism. So. What's happening is the Chinese government, the communist government, is shutting down the borders everywhere, sea and earth borders, to try and stop the epidemic from going out. And the people there are ignoring it. Over ten, tens of thousands, and they, they stopped counting at about 12,000 uh, Chinese crashed the Vietnam border, which has a border of, with China. They just ran through it. There's a video. I, I will have a link to the video. Uh, they just ran through the border of Vietnam. And how many of these tens of thousands of Chinese are infected? Vietnam, before that occurred, was already under quarantine. Uh, and they have over 10,000 people under quarantine in Vietnam. 
Russia suspended all Chinese citizens from entering Russia from any any direction, anyway. Honduras has their first uh, coronavirus, Wuhan virus case. Iran, and you know, the problem is when you have these socialist or communist or dictator countries, you don't get the right numbers out. And for that matter, you don't get them out of our countries either because they're not, the United States government doesn't want to tell the truth. They don't want everybody to freak out. Iran claims it has 18 uh, infected, dead four. No, they have over 500 uh, known infected in Iran. South Korea has been trying to keep this as quiet as possible. They have over 800 known infections in South Korea. Now, you've heard all about the cruise ships that are, have infected people in it, and they're docked all over the world. I'm not going to get into them because it's, it's, just, it's just insane. One of the head doctors of, the, uh, of, of, of disease in Japan snuck on board one of these ships in Tokyo. Okay, The government wouldn't allow him on there. So he kind of joined another team and, and covertly snuck on board. And what did he see? No contaminate containment at all. The crew and all the government employees weren't even wearing masks. Or if they were, they had them pulled down so they could talk and so they could breathe through their nose. I mean, this is insane. He was freaking out. He was, they would walk through hallways, knock on a door of somebody who's known infected, and the infected person would come to the door. They would hand them the food while they had a conversation with him. He was freaking out. Japan is not going to tell you anything about this in any way, shape, or form because, it, and I quote from one of the links that I got, it could affect their work. So they're not telling you about the 90 employees, government employees who were aboard the ship. That was the Diamond Princess. And Japan released them on the 19th. These people, remember we go back to number one. Corona, the Wuhan virus can spread by people who aren't showing symptoms. Number two, these are my links. I actually number my links, see? 24-day incubation period. So in Japan, they held the Diamond Princess people there 14 days and released them. They're in, they're into, uh, they're into Japan right now. Now to help, to help Chinese, the Chinese government decided to help uh, in the manner of information getting out. They put sixteen hundred trolls online to counter and suppress any information that pops up. You know, you go into these chat rooms and some guy goes, oh man, there's a bunch of Chinese men in San Francisco now that are sick. This guy will come in and say, oh, you're a racist. You're ridiculous. You're just a hate-mongering, intolerant, blah, 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 blah. Expect it. Washington, 20 miles west of me, over 850 people suspected of the, of the Wuhan virus. Over 800. There's a guy in Bozeman, Montana that has the virus right now. The news hit, what, two, three days ago, that uh, Sacred Heart Hospital in Spokane is bringing in five of these infected people. Well, for some reason, four of them showed up. They didn't tell us why the fifth didn't show up. The Sacred Heart Hospital is one of 10 hospitals in the United States that has a negative uh, pressure emergency room. So, And it has 10 beds in it, so they, they figured, well, we'll put some of them in there. Why the hell they did that, I have no idea. I'll tell you what's pissing off Trump and really pissing them off is that the Centers for Disease Control and medical uh, people in the United States are moving these sick people in and out of the United States and around the United States without anybody's permission. They're just putting them wherever the hell they want to put them. 
And then the news come out that there are thousands, I quote, thousands of Americans that are self-quarantining. Thousands of Americans that are self-quarantining. I got another article on that in a minute. Uh, These Wuhan, these guys, there were a lot of United States government agencies and uh, agents in Wuhan. And the government flew them out. The U.S. government flew them all out. There wasn't like 50 or 100. There was like two to 5,000. They're keeping it quiet as possible. A lot of them were were uh, brought in for quarantine at the San Diego Marine Base. Well, they released them all at 19th, 19th of uh, this month, a few days ago. I have a a video that you guys can link on that shows the spread of the, of the Wuhan virus by country. Let's see. The CDC has been, you know, the CDC is lying as hell. This is why I said our government is not telling us the truth. The Centers for Disease Control is saying, and you can see this yourself. You go online, how many infected people in the United States? You'll find 15, 15, 15, 15, only 15. Except they filed a, um, a request to move 70 infected people that were in California to somewhere else. Now, if you only had 15 infected with the Wuhan virus in the United States, how could you want to move 70 infected people from California somewhere to somewhere else? Okay, there are hundreds and hundreds of infected people in the United States. You're not going to find out about it. And I'm busting my butt, and so is my son, on the, on the uh, dark web, finding all kinds of information out. Italy is really getting hit hard. They got, they're locked down. Half, uh, half their country is locked down now. There are over, remember I said volunteering, self, self-quarantining? Okay, and the government came out and said there are a th- over a thousand people self-quarantining. Now, what does that mean? That means these people are possible carriers of the Wuhan virus. There are over 7,000 in the United States. Somebody actually started looking at all the newspapers, all the reports, of how many people were sick here, how many people were quarantined there, blah, 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 and added it all up. It's over 7,000 people in the United States. A friend of mine contacted me and said he works for a hospital, and he just got a bulletin that says they're to open their pandemic plans now. Every hospital in the United States has a pandemic plan, and it tells them what what they're supposed to do, who they're supposed to uh, communicate to, where they're supposed to get the materials and supplies, and the hospitals in the U.S. are now being ordered to open those plans now. Then there's the last part of this is that the pets in China. See, the government there has a problem with people having pets. First off, the Chinese eat anything that moves. Usually, you know, cats and dogs. But some of them want to have a pet. So some entrepreneur in China come up with pet masks. Before we get out of the health and food department here, I got a couple little things to add to this. So I go in for my yearly uh, Medicare uh, checkup because I'm old, right? So I get Medicare and I get a physical checkup each time. And they have all these pages and stuff they want me to fill out. And one of them starts off with, are you happy? Are you depressed? Do you think people hate you? And I'm looking at that going, what the hell is this? And I just wrote on the, at the top of it, no. It seems, and I turned it in and I said, I'm not here for a psychological evaluation. It turns out that Medicare wants to know all of this crap from you. They want to know because what's the purpose of the government is to drug you into a stupor. See, if I answered yes to any of those things, they would prescribe a psychotropic drug to me. 
Another thing I just found out, Q10, many of you take it. I take it. It's uh, for the heart. It works. It's real. Even the FDA approves it as uh, taking strengthening the heart. Q10 was made in China. There is none coming out of China, period. You, I have a, I have a video here I was watching before I, I did the show here. I can't even tell you guys about it because it's, it's, it's got so much data in it, it, it would take up the whole show. Suffice to say, I told you so. I've been telling you anything that you think you're going to need that, that comes out of China or is manufactured in the United States using China's ingredients, you'd better go out and buy it right now because you have, and I, if you've listened to my show, then you know this, you have about a 90-day time lag between a product coming to the United States and getting on the shelves. So when there's no products coming to the United States, you're going to have no products on the shelves within 60 to 90 days. Go to Best Buy. Look at the shelves there. Everything that Best Buy sells, it's all electronics. It's all from China. A third of their shelves are empty. In fact, I was in there yesterday looking for a little gizmo. Half of their shelves are empty. That's just one example. And there's bunches of them out there. So anybody, any of you guys out there use Q10? Well, of course, Survival Enterprises sells it. Uh, SE1.us, survivalenterprises.com. I just ordered a, a, a case more of it because... I know it's not going to be available in a month or two. So just, you know, for your own benefit. Uh, Now we're going to get into the category of Islam. Very short this time. Slovakia. It was part of the old uh, Russian, part of the old Russia, right? Slovakia is barring Muslims from coming in the country. They will not allow any mosques to be built in Slovakia. And as many other Central and Eastern European countries are doing the same thing. Uh, they're create. They, they're holding a hard line against these these invaders, and they will not let them in, especially Poland and Hungary. So good for them. I hope it. I hope it works. I hope you know. I wish the United States would do that. One of the main com- countries that have been allowing so many invaders in is France. Now France is going through 120 knife attacks per day. These are the reported ones, by the way. These aren't the ones that are not reported. 120 knife attacks on average per day in France. And it's 99% of these are Muslims. Here's a sad thing. And this this just bothered me. The Syrian refugee. refugee a real, this was a real refugee. He came to the United States. He got a job. He's not on welfare. He's delivering pizza. Of course, he's in a, one of the most degraded scum cities in the United States, Baltimore, he gets killed delivering pizza. After he lives through all the crap in Syria, he comes to the United States and gets killed delivering pizza. Let's get into the liberal psychosis. (laughs) This is the party of racism, intolerance, anger, hate, and fear. Did you guys watch the Democrat uh, debate this week in Nevada? It was funny. I watched the whole thing. It was it was literally like watching an expanded episode of the Three Stooges. They they each one of them tried to out commie each other. No, I'm a bigger communist than you are. No, I'm bigger communist than you are. No, I'm bigger communist. And it just got uh, it was funny. 
Most of the time I'm laughing because here are these people, they're saying, well, I want to take everyone's guns away. I want to control the, the uh, population. I want to control what you eat, drink, what you rub in your belly, where you live. I want to control this. I want to control that. And poor Bloomberg is sitting on the end. He's trying to buy his way into the nomination. And these these guys found out all kinds of stuff about him. He is a he is a intolerant, racist, homophobic, uh, misogynic. He is a piece of crap, an elitist, self absorbed. Uh, he is an astounding creature to even think that he could run for anything. Just why doesn't he just buy the buy a, a, a license to be a dog catcher or something? Because he's no way in hell is he going to be able to get into the Democrat uh, Party as a as a nominee. You, I, I just got some information from the caucus that's occurring, or that it, that's occurring on Saturday. There's uh, complaints from the Democrat National Committee that all of the volunteers are refusing to work; they're quitting. They, they run this all on volunteers. So so nobody's saying why. Well, here's why. Because the Democrat Party has ordered that all volunteers in the state of Nevada sign a non-disclosure agreement because they don't want any information getting out of how bad the Democrats are going to screw this caucus up. See, Iowa caucus was screwed up because they used some, they you know, all the millennials like these apps, right? So they used some app, which was a giant CF, if you don't know what that means, find somebody who's in the military and ask them. So th- the Democrats don't want to have another CF here in, in Nevada, so they know they're going to because they're doing the same thing. They're using iPads that connect to Google, <laughs> and they're going to count the ballots that way. I, I don't understand the whole thing, but they are they know they're going to screw it up. There's no ifs, ands, or buts, but, so they're trying to make everybody sign an NDA. And unfortunately, these people aren't doing it, so they're walking out. So there's a shortage of, of volunteers. Oh, well. Uh, Walgreens is gone full pervert. They have, are doing now exactly what Target did. And they're allowing males, females, switch hitters, don't know yet, aliens, to use any bathroom they want. Just decide on your gender identity, and you can use any bathroom you want. Walgreens is doing this. This is ridiculous. Target is bad enough. Well, here's something that's worse than that. Four-year-olds in preschool are now going to be start, uh, they're going to start teaching them all about transgender and queer rights, racism and victimhood. This is gross. You know, I had a, I had an argument with a, with a friend of mine and we were talking about sexual perversion, specifically the section in homosexuality whether male, male, female, female, what have you. Um, and then you can, you can extrapolate that into uh, confusion on what you, what you genetically are and, and wanting to be something else. I mean, the whole psychosis. And he said, it's just getting worse and worse. Maybe these people are being born this way and, and they just, uh, you know, you think, you think that's what's causing? I said, no, they're being indoctrinated into it. And they start at four years old. You can see this. They're even starting at three years old. They're telling them, you're, you're not a little girl, you're a little boy if you want to be. Or you can be an omelet if you want. You just identify with whatever you want. So now, and this is, uh, this is the indoctrination is what's occurring in all public schools. 
from the age from the first moment the child steps into a public school of any kind including preschool kindergarten what have you all the way up through college they're being indoctrinated by basically perverts and anti-american communists that they can do and be anything they want it's just it's astounding and it's disgusting and we are seeing it we're watching it there's this one woman who decided she was a lesbian decided she wanted to be a man so she did all the transitioning and operations and all of this stuff and and became a male well then she didn't like that so she had everything whacked off and tucked under and whatever you do had her nipples removed and she's become a uh she calls it a genderless alien genderless alien is there a country anywhere on earth that doesn't think the united states is insane there was a guy named ex ex uh, football player Dwayne wade claimed that his three-year-old son decided he, he wasn't a boy he was a girl so this this uh, du- this liberal is allowing his son to transition okay so this rapper named boozy badass b-a-d-a-z-z on his social media this what is it facebook or something uh he he said he said look you you can't let your 12 year old son cut his uh tallywhacker off that's insane so this this guy this rapper goes to planet fitness that's where he works out well it seems the place where he works out the planet fitness where he works out is managed by a sexual pervert soon as he saw the rapper there he kicked him out and said you can't come in here you're intolerant it's insane when you have these psychotics telling black people that they're racist and intolerant now i talked to you about pp before uh paul pete Budigig, that i just call him pp for short this he's claimed that he's done all kinds of neat things for his city and he's when he was mayor and, and all of this crap and the residents there they're being interviewed by people now and it, the truth's coming out everything he does is 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 a flash in the pan everything he does is to make the city look prettier make the city uh look better so so the rich people are proud of living in that area but everybody who needs anything they just laugh at and blow off let's see democrats 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 are democrats and they like doing insane things they like controlling you alabama is putting a bill off a a law a bill forward that's going to make it a law that men uh when they turn 50 years old get a vasectomy so they won't continue breeding youtube just banned another a christian broadcaster true news has been banned from youtube for hate speech by the way and this is standard operating procedure you can be a muslim and get on youtube and with a knife threaten to cut everybody's throat and they don't care about that but if you're a christian on there and you get on there and you read something out of the bible that's hate speech and that's basically what's happening so this uh so true noob and I, I had I had customers and uh, listeners that would listen to True News all the time. So, yeah. Now, you know the red flag laws that are popping up all over the place? Florida's got one. I talked about one last show where uh, police murdered a guy when they came to his house just to take his guns. Florida man, mistaken identity. Cops come to his house and say, give, me, give us all your guns. You have a warrant out. And he goes, what are you talking about? Well... Uh, you threaten an elderly couple. 
when was this? Who, who are you talking about? Well, John Carpenter. Uh, he's 110 pounds, brown eyes, black hair, and that must be you, uh, even though you're 200 pounds, hazel eyes, and you're bald. So it took him six weeks to prove to the judge that it wasn't, it's not him. This is not a joke. This is not laughing and funny. This is real. That happened to me. I sold a car <laughs> years ago. I'm in Los Angeles. I had just bought for $150 a 1960, no, a 1957 Chevrolet Impala with a six cylinder and a three speed on a column. The car was immaculate. It's just that the clutch was busted. So you had I, to drive it. I put it in the second gear, and when I and I'd let it out and I'd drive, and I'd come to a stop and I'd have to turn the engine off, and then when it start when when the light changed, I'd start it, and the starter motor would move me forward. Second gear would catch and I'd take off. I was driving home from where I bought it in downtown Los Angeles, and I come to this stop sign, and a bunch of Mexicans come running over. It was a convertible, by the way. Bunch of Mexicans come over and they're ooh and on and the car and and this one guy goes he goes my friend wants to buy that car right now, I said I just bought it I just bought it he goes oh so you have the title I go, yeah it's right in my pocket, but I, I'm going to fix it up and sell it he goes I'll give you a thousand dollars for it I said okay <laughs> give me a thousand dollars gave me a thousand dollars gave him the title got out of the car hitchhiked home, no big deal that thousand dollars went to my vacation three months later me and the wife are in uh, up up at uh, uh, Kybers fishing, Northern California. I had a sheriff pull up, and we're 20 miles in. I had a sheriff pull up, and he goes, "Kurt." So yeah, he goes, "Well, your mom called. You you need to uh, you need to call home. There's a detective looking for you." So I drove out, called my mom. My mom said, "Yeah, they they're uh, they're charging you with murder." What? All right, that ended that vacation. We headed home. I got a hold of the detective and said, "What the, what's going on?" He goes, "Well." You were seen, okay, you were seen leaving the scene of a uh, a robbery. A liquor store was held up, and two guys come out of the liquor store, jumped in your car, and you drove off hitting the liquor store owner and running over him and killing him. I said, really? When did that happen? Okay, well, it happened like two months earlier. So I said, well, wh- what does he look like? Well, it doesn't matter. You were picked out of a lineup. I go, what, what lineup? I was up in the mountains. Oh, they looked at pictures. I said, I'd like to see those pictures that they looked at. So they showed me a dozen pictures. Every single one of the pictures was a long-haired, short, fat Mexican. Different long-haired, short, fat Mexicans. And then there's me. Six foot two, and at the time I was 200 pounds, with a half bald head and short hair. And very definitely white. So I told him that. I said, "What? this is stupid. He goes, no, nope, we're going to let it. Let the court figure this out. For six months, I went through crap with the court. Finally, I got a court date. And I showed up. And they called me last. I was there six hours. Finally, the judge goes, is Mr. Wilson here? And I stood up and he, and he looks at me. And he looks down at the prosecuting attorney and he said, he does not look like a long-haired, short, fat Mexican. So he goes, case dismissed. And then he looks at me and goes, well, at least you got to sit here and watch justice be being done all day. And I looked at him and said, I got to sit here and watch you working all day. He said, get out. And I did. 
But see, it happens. And justice is blind. That maybe means something else to some people, but to me it means justice is blind. Or stupid, like we have this uh, strange human female, AOC, who's a Congress female. That uh, she, she has some legislation called a Just Society Proposal or a Place to Prosper Act. She's putting this forward. It's, uh, it's because there's so many people that don't have any place to live. So basically what she wants to do is she wants banks to be forced, even if the person doesn't have an income, to loan them money to buy a house. I'm just all confused with this because we know she's a socialist, but this is insane socialism. This isn't just normal socialism. Well, let's see. There was a Sanders rally in Colorado where a black guy shows up wearing a T-shirt that says Black Guns Matter. He had some racist get in his face from the Sanders uh, division, shall we say, and call, they called him a racist and then uh, got in a fight with him. I agree. Uh, black Black Guns Matter. The Democrats unearthed, everybody's going after Bloomberg, and there's, there are hundreds of lawsuits that he's just paid off. He does stupid stuff. He, he says stupid stuff. He says evil things. He says in, in, insulting. I'm not even going to say any of these things. And then he just pays off the person when they get upset. I got a link to it. Feel free to go look at it. So what's happening is it with the Democrats now is is that they're trying to out-commie each other. What What is left? Is there six of them left? I think there's six of these that, that want to be the head commie for the Democrat Party during the election season. And they, um, they're neither, none of them are getting a lot of, a lot of uh, votes. So you don't have, there's not one that's a standout from the others. So what happens in, in the case when they're all finished with all of these, these uh, caucuses, they, if they don't have, if one doesn't have, I think 50% of the delegates or something, I don't remember the exact number, then it goes to a convention, which would be a brokered convention, meaning everybody goes there and they fight it out. And they, they talk about it, well, theoretically and literally. They talk about who's better. They they uh, they say, okay, look, look, all you all you delegates out there, who do you really want Bloomberg or can you settle for Sanders or that kind of crap, right? Well, 1968 they had the same thing. Democrats had the exact same thing, exactly. It was a brokered convention, and it ended up with murders and riots and you. It was astounding. But it was Democrats. That's exactly who it always is. It's always Democrats that cause this kind of stuff. The easiest thing that the powers that be can do to weaken us, the the citizens, whether it's in the United States or uh, Egypt or the UK or Wales or Mexico, it doesn't matter. What they do is they confuse us to such a degree that we no longer know what's up or down, what's right or wrong, what's sane or insane. And the easiest thing to do right now is to create insane children. Remember what Karl Marx said, basically, is we have to start with the children. They're the easiest ones to indoctrinate. In the UK, 
the government there is allowing medical practitioners to use puberty blockers on children under the age of 10. If the parents bring a child in and the parents say, my son, who's two years old, has been saying that, that, that he is a girl and like to play with dolls. So they would give that little two-year-old puberty blockers so the child wouldn't grow up as a, as a male. I mean, it, it's getting really, ins- it's insane. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about this. You know, you look at the world and you see this, this level of insanity occurring. And the majority of you, and I won't say all of you, but the majority of you are sane. And you see these things occur and you go, that's insane. And you look and you say it out loud and people around you go, how dare you? Who do you think you are to evaluate that? You're just intolerant. And they start giving you a whole ration of crap because you dare to say something like that. And a lot of you say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not going to ever say anything again. Well, that's not me. That's for damn sure. But that's a lot of you will say that. A lot of you get browbeat down and you allow yourself to do this, to just say, well, I'll let them go. I won't say anything about it because I don't like being I don't like being insulted. Unfortunately, we're going to have to start telling it like it is. You know, you see a stupid thing, you say it. That's stupid. That's dangerous. In the United States, it'd be illegal. But in the UK, they get away with it right now. All right, we're now under government threat. And I got to let you guys know, something glitched on my recording just now. I have no idea if I've already said this once before. It's, it's, I can't find it. I was talking, it was recording, and then all of a sudden everything disappeared. So I might be uh, duplicating myself here. But there was an article I saw, and when I saw it, I'm saying to myself, what the hell is this about? It says, U.S. to treat state-owned Chinese media... In other words, any media that's owned by the Chinese government as operatives of the communist state. I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Of course, they're all communists. Every China, every Chinese born in China is a communist. And unfortunately, a lot of them that are out of China are communists. So they're, they're obviously operatives of the communist regime. I don't understand it. Let's see. The United States will begin treating five major Chinese state-run media entities with U.S. operations as foreign missions and operatives of Beijing's government, requiring them to register their employees and U.S. properties with the State Department. I see. Okay, so it's like if you walk like a duck and you quack like a duck and and you say, hello, Mao Duck, then you're a commie. I, I don't understand it. Anyway, okay. Now, you know... I uh, get briefings from the Department of Homeland Security and, and, and uh, about all of the divisions below them. And one of those divisions is the Transportation Security Administration. This, so if you go to the airport, you're going to have one of those uh, TSA goons with the IQ of just between 60 and 75 pat you down and check your stuff and, and you know, do the stuff, you know, do whatever they do. But here, here's the thing. You're not allowed to take certain things up with you, carry on, aboard a plane. You're not allowed to take certain things in your check baggage. There's certain, and most of these are just plain common sense, uh, but some of them are arbitrary. So you've you got to be careful about that. And I, say, I get this briefing every week. It's called TSA Week in Review from January 27th to February 9th is this one, and they talk about the things that they've taken. There was a guy with one leg who had a prosthetic, and he had a, st- he had a switchblade 
taped to the leg, to that leg. And he just claimed, I forgot it. <laughs> forgot it was there. Somebody walked on with an inert grenade. Did, I mean, come on, this is stupid. Just use some damn common sense. And then they start showing pictures of all of the different uh, pistols that they have taken off of people. And I'm looking at these pistols. Now, there's nine of them. So we're probably looking at about, oh, I don't know, $15,000 worth of guns. These aren't fifty nine ninety five throwaway 25 automatics. There's just some quality pieces of, of, of firearms there. People, you know, you've got to know what you can carry. You've got to stay aware of your existence enough that if you carry a pistol 24-7, like, if, like from Idaho, right? This is a constitutional carry. I don't care who you are. You can carry a gun ex- exposed. You can carry a gun concealed. doesn't matter. But if you're going to get on an airplane, you got to go, you know, I better take my Glock off. Give it to my, my wife to take and hang on to while I'm going on the airplane. Uh, use some common damn sense. People are, do you know how much money people have lost in goods, in pocket knives, in just, I don't understand. What, why is it so difficult? Last year alone, they found 4,400 guns, firearms. Oh, they have a, a video highlighting the TSA's top 10 fines of 2019. I've seen some of those. People have brought grenade launchers aboard. They put them in a bag and, you know, a duffel bag and put them to be put into the storage area. I don't understand. Common sense, people. Common sense. Well, let's see. All right, now we're going to get into the category of Trump. Okay. Well, uh, some of the communists, I'm sorry, Democrats in the House went to Iran and to circumvent Trump's power, they had a secret meeting with uh, the top Iranian official. It was the foreign minister, Iran's foreign minister, during a foreign policy conference held over the weekend in Germany, a bunch of these commies got together and met with this guy covertly and illegally, for that matter. They, they, they're not empowered to. They do not have the right to do that. That's the kind of thing that the president does alone. And this is, this is, why, this is why people, in fact, all Republicans, all conservatives, and the majority of every other person on earth knows that we have enemies, not just against Trump, but against the American people. And they're called, they're called Democrats. And the Democrats came out again. Now, Trump has to clean house with the Department of Justice because they are all Obama holdovers. And the Department of Justice is the one who's been leaking everything and causing all of the crap that we've all had to put up with for the past three years. And they started it again. So the, the Democrats have started the It's Russia chant again. They come out with a secret meeting, again, another one, where the Democrats were briefed on uh, how Russia is now backing Trump's re-election. Oh, oh they, they also came out and told Sanders that. Oh, the Russians are backing your election. Okay. Well, so the Senate has put forward a bill, and it has a good chance of moving forward because it's not arbitrary. 
the, they're, uh, they introduced a bill halting funds to states that give driver's licenses to illegal aliens. This is the Stop Greenlighting Driver License for Illegal Immigrants Act. And it would ban certain federal funding to sanctuary states, including those that defy federal immigration enforcement or that allow illegal aliens to get driver's licenses without proof of lawful presence. So we'll see what happens. We'll see where that goes. Uh, Now, uh, Trump has told Barr, his attorney general, to clean house at the Justice Department. He, He has to. This is asinine. This is these people are treasonous. The FBI is a laughing stock. In fact, they're not even a laughing stock. They're openly avowed enemy, and we've I've known this for decades, and most people are just finding it out. We'll see what happens. I got a bad feeling that Barr himself is going to get uh, cleaned up and cleaned out, and tossed. Okay, so my job here is to arm you with knowledge. I give you data, information that might help you survive better. Some of that information is is very uh, simple, such as how to work on your car, how to clean your house, how to silence a generator, how to store food, you know, things like that. Other data that I give you is more of a subjective uh, discipline, which teaches you how to think and what your enemies are, who your enemies are. Many people are under the impression that certain organizations are friends and that certain organizations will aid you in your survival. So my job is to give you this information and whatever I think that is necessary. And this time, I'm going to talk to you about three enemies of America. You might not know this, but you will by the time I'm done. One of them is the ADL, or Anti-Defamation League, of B'nai B'rith. They're supposed to be a Jewish organization that protects Jews from uh, right-wing hate groups. Okay, that's that's the ADL. The next group is the Southern Poverty Law Center. This is an organization of. It started with two communist Jew lawyers, and they were using uh, the the uh, their information, their knowledge to assist blacks in in different uh, legal categories. And the third enemy of America is American Civil Liberties Union. I've dealt with each one of these at some times over the years. Now, what I, what I have is some information, and, and I'm not going heavy into this because it's unnecessary. You can do your own research on it. I'm going to give you the data that is necessary to open up your minds to this area. A lot of you know about it. A lot of you know how evil the ADL is. And you ought to, all, a lot of you know how disgusting and evil the SPLC is. And the majority of you know how disgusting the ACLU is. So I'm going to have a little clip of each of them that gives you some information. This is for you to arm you with data that you can use to defend yourself with and to understand who really is an enemy of America. The first one we're going to cover is the Anti-Defamation League of B'nai B'rath. Experts on hate, experts on extremism, civil rights leaders. Whenever journalists mention the Anti-Defamation League, 
they are always referred to as one or more of the above. The Anti-Defamation League of B'nai B'rith, or ADL for short, has long been thought of as the organization leading the fight to eradicate anti-Semitism and hate. But perception, especially mass media-induced perception, is not always reality. For there is another side to the ADL, a darker, more sinister side. The ADL itself was established in 1913 by a lawyer named Sigmund Livingston, who began with, quote, two desks, $200, and the sponsorship of the independent order of Benibarith, close quote, an international Jewish fraternal organization founded in the 19th century. The establishment of the ADL was in response to the hanging of Leo Frank. Between April 26 and 27, 1913, Leo Frank raped and killed a little girl named Mary Fagan. There was a great deal of publicity about the case at the time, and ultimately, Frank was sentenced to death for this heinous crime. However, the Georgia governor, John Slayton, in his last day of office, commuted Frank's death sentence after a great deal of behind-the-scenes dealing. This absolute corruption enraged the locals so much that they took Frank and hung him themselves. The ADL's goal was to provide a counter to any extant anti-Jewish feeling in order to prevent vigilantism of a similar nature in the future, and in its own words become, quote, the nation's foremost champion in the struggle against anti-Semitism, close quote. Since then, it has grown into a national nonprofit organization that took in $46 million in revenues in 1998 and employs 200 people into New York headquarters alone. The ADL is commonly known as a civil rights organization, fighting for the well-being of all individuals, Jews and Gentiles alike. The ADL itself states, As the face of America continues to change on the brink of the 21st century, ADL will pursue its ever-challenging quest for equality, freedom, and justice for all people. But as Carl Perlston, a former member of the ADL's executive committee, who served in the upper echelons of the ADL for 25 years, asserts, We were a Jewish organization primarily concerned with issues affecting the Jewish community and secondarily with equality and fair enforcement of laws for everyone. I recall that many times in days past we deferred action on an item on the grounds that it was not related to the Jewish community and was thus beyond our purview. In the 1920s, the ADL took on the anti-Jewish discrimination that was prevailing at the time in the employment and housing sectors from the ADL's website. Colleges and medical schools had quotas limiting the admission of Jews. ADL established facts to influence public opinion against job discrimination and quotas in higher education and sought legal remedies. In the 1950s, the ADL joined the struggle for civil rights and filed an amicus curiae brief in the landmark case of Brown v. Board of Education, which put an end to the odious ruling of separate but equal. These are but two of the actions in the name of civil rights the ADL has taken in its history. But the ADL, fighting the anti-Jewish quota system of the 20s, makes only a token effort, if anything at all, to seek legal remedies to help abolish the anti-white quota system called affirmative action. The ADL's official stance on affirmative action is that the ADL is technically against quotas as quotas, yet supports diversity. The ADL also supports the State of Israel, the apartheid State of Israel. Why does the ADL fight for integration here in the United States, yet wholeheartedly support the apartheid State of Israel? When a true civil rights organization fight against quotas in general and against apartheid policies wherever they may exist? Cunning indeed, ADL. An anti-defamation league that commits defamation. This is from the July 30th, 2002 JL News Journal. 
Jail is an organization that fights to ensure the accountability of our judges, and one of many organizations that has been tarred by the Anti-Defamation League. The ADL is presented to the American public as experts on extremism as well as hate. Yet after smearing participants of the Homeland Security Expo as extremists, the ADL's director of fact-finding, Mark Piktovich, revealed... I don't know that the ADL has a formal definition for the term extremist. Gun owners, true American patriots, survivalists. All the participants in an event the ADL considers outside of the mainstream are labeled extremist by an organization that doesn't even have, quote, a formal definition, close quote, of this pejorative. Carl Perlston eventually had enough of the hypocrisy and left after 25 years of service. Mr. Perlston recounts how, on one occasion, I once cited the comprehensive study by Yale University Law School's Dr. John Lott on gun laws to the effect that in those states where people could legally carry concealed weapons, crimes against people actually declined, since criminals do not want to take a chance that their victims may be armed. I was met with a sarcastic and dismissive response that only John Lott, Larry Elder, and you believe in that study. When Dennis Prager participated by invitation in a panel discussion on church-state issues, some members actually hissed and booed his remarks in a hostile display of intolerance. A respected board member persistently repeated to all who would hear that Prager was insane. When I expressed my views on some of these matters in various letters and articles in which I was not identified as an ADL board member, I was rebuked in a stern letter from our president advising that I had publicly taken positions contrary to ADL policy, which was not permitted. I had not realized that, as a price of board membership, I had given up my freedom of speech on issues on which the ADL had taken a position. This was much like the old Leninist doctrine of democratic centralism, in which debate is allowed only before a policy is adopted, and no dissent is tolerated thereafter. It seems odd that an organization which boastfully espouses and teaches tolerance and diversity will not tolerate a bit of dissent and diverse viewpoint in its own lay leadership. Carl Perlston witnessed the smears and censorship tactics firsthand. He has also quoted syndicated columnist Mona Sharon, who wrote, The ADL has committed defamation. There is no other conclusion to be reached after reading its new report, The Religious Right, The Assault, Intolerance, and Pluralism in America. It is sad that an organization with a proud history of fairness should have descended to this kind of character assassination and name-calling. Witness the ADL's report, The Religious Right, The Assault on Tolerance and Pluralism in America. The Christian Coalition broke down the, quote, shoddy research, close quote, in their article, How the Anti-Defamation League Systematically Smears Conservative Christians. On June 9, 1994, the Anti-Defamation League of B'nai B'rith, an organization created to fight defamation, released a report that alleges, with shoddy research and threadbare scholarship, that politically active people of faith pose a threat to the survival of American constitutional democracy. The ADL accuses numerous religious conservative organizations and leaders of anti-Semitism and bigotry. In so doing, the ADL itself has committed defamation. The ADL's new definition of intolerance apparently is in disagreement with its liberal politics. The ADL claims its report was the culmination of nine months of research, but it bears none of the signs of a serious research report. It is virtually devoid of specific references to resource materials. The reader is left to simply take it on faith that the ADL's most damning charges are true. 
which they are not. In fact, much of the ADL's report is simply a retread of materials, some over a decade old, from groups like People for the American Way, Americans United for the Separation of Church and State, the Institute for First Amendment Studies, and other groups that long have had political axes to grind against religious conservatives. Most disturbing, the ADL never contacted the Christian Coalition to get its response to their unfounded charges, nor did the ADL try to ascertain the accuracy of many of the quotations used in their report. Instead, the report is filled with gross inaccuracies of fact. Quotations are listed without attribution, while others are listed, incredibly, as coming from the Library of People for the American Way. A quotation from Pat Robertson on church-state separation has no source listed at all. Of 28 quotations attributed to Paul Weyrich, founder of the Washington-based Free Congress Foundation, 22 have no source for the quote. One of the most disturbing aspects of the ADL's report is its propensity to lift words out of context so as to distort their original meaning. It does so with reference to the irresponsible charge of anti-Semitism. The ADL has displayed neither tolerance nor respect. Instead, it is engaged in a partisan campaign of innuendo, half-truths, and outright falsehoods. In the 1960s, the ADL published reports and later a book entitled Christian Beliefs and Anti-Semitism, which led to the Vatican Council repudiating important parts of their own Bible. The Vatican Council adopted its statement on the Jews, repudiating Jewish guilt in the death of Jesus and denouncing, quote, hatred, persecutions, displays of anti-Semitism directed against Jews at any time by anyone, close quote. In Matthew 27, 25, it states quite clearly, quote, His blood be on us and on our children, close quote. His refers to Jesus, and us and our children refers to Jews. Thus, the Vatican Council chose the demands of the ADO over its own religion. Some of the victims of ADO smears actually fight back, not just via writing, but in court as well. William and Dorothy Quigley were two victims of an ADL smear campaign, and they decided to fight back. In 1994, the Quigleys began having neighborly disputes with Mitchell and Candace Aronson, a Jewish couple. The Aronsons got the ADL involved, alleging that the Quigleys, quote, were plotting to drive them out of the neighborhood because they were Jewish, close quote. Based on some comments, they illegally recorded the Quigley saying on their cordless phone. The ADL consulted with the district attorney and advised the Aronsons to continue the illegal recordings for another six weeks. In December of that year, the Aronsons filed charges against the Quigleys, and the ADL immediately began its smear campaign. The case unraveled quickly and was eventually dropped. The Quigleys then went after the ADL and won one of the largest defamation awards ever in Colorado, more than $10 million. U.S. District Judge Edward Nottingham wrote on March 31st in a 46-page order and memorandum of decision obtained by the Forward, an English version of the Yiddish newspaper from New York. Based on its position and history as a well-respected civil rights institution, it is not unreasonable to infer that public charges of anti-Semitism leveled by the ADL will be taken seriously and assumed by many to be true without question. In that respect, the ADL is in a unique position of being able to cause substantial harm to individuals when it lends its backing to allegations of anti-Semitism. 
the large damage award will, at a minimum, provide a deterrent effect against the ADL from engaging in future conduct involving the use of intercepted telephone conversations to pursue a civil lawsuit against persons perceived to be anti-Semitic. Adolf Hitler is well known as one of the greatest orders who ever lived. So it was natural that a video collection to be released by Sony entitled The Speeches Collection would feature this man. The ADL protested this move and in a press release stated, In response to a protest by the Anti-Defamation League, a division of Time Warner and Sony has agreed to remove a video on Hitler from a catalog offering a collection of, quote, some of the greatest speeches delivered by world leaders, close quote. The company assured ADL that in the future it would revise its catalog proofing process as well. The League praised such prompt action. Hitler may well be thought of as the most evil being to ever walk the planet. So the actions of the ADL shouldn't really offend very many people. But should a well-liked individual such as Mel Gibson be given the same treatment? Mel Gibson decided, in a tribute to his faith, to make a movie about Jesus' last days originally entitled The Passion. This movie was to be based completely on the Bible, the original Bible that existed until a few decades ago, when it was modified to be more Jewish-friendly, more politically correct, the crucifixion of Jesus was a Jewish affair, according to this politically correct Bible. The ADL started the anti-Gibson propaganda after a group of Christian and Jewish scholars reviewed the script of the movie and didn't feel it was politically correct enough. Gibson initially decided to stand his ground. Eventually, Gibson caved in under the smears of anti-Semitism and not only stated he would modify the movie to omit Matthew 27-25, for example, but also decided to launch the Jewish Initiative to recruit Jewish and Christian leaders to, quote, discuss the film's effects on Christian-Jewish relations, close quote. However, on January 22, 2004, the Associated Press ran an article that exposed the fact that Abe Foxman and another Jewish leader posed as pastors and, quote, paid their way in, close quote, to a special screen of the movie. They were horrified that Mel Gibson dared to not modify the Bible of his religion to accommodate their demands. The president of the Catholic League, a civil rights organization for Catholics, William A. Donahue, has demanded that A. Foxman and ADL publicly apologize for one of the more vicious defamations they've hurled at Christians over this movie. As of the completion of this documentary, the anti-Gibson propaganda was still in full swing. The ADL believes that cyberspace is a dangerous place for children in regards to hate. So the ADL created something called the Hate Filter, which not only blocked sites that the Anti-Defamation League found objectionable, but redirected people who went to those sites to a special educational page on ADL's site. Matt Isaacs of San Francisco Weekly. So far, nobody is connecting the dots in a public way. An organization with a history of ruthlessly silencing its critics is trying to dictate the internet content available to the country's young minds. In addition to filtering sites the ADL deems objectionable, they've also been working hand-in-hand -hand with internet service providers to prevent such sites from existing in the first place. The October 21, 1996 ADL press release includes the following statement. We are working with America Online to create an atmosphere of responsibility online, to set standards within the framework of the First Amendment that will give assurances to parents, educators, and communities that there is no tolerance for hate online. These are now part of what are referred to as Agreement to Rules of User Conduct, or Terms of Service. After working with AOL to make sure there was a written policy in place for dealing with that which ADL declares to be offensive, the ADL sent out this press release on April 7, 1997. 
AOL's terms of service state that AOL Incorporated, its affiliates and ICPs have the right to remove content they deem, in their discretion, harmful or offensive. The League calls on AOL to live up to its own commitments. The ADO offers its services as experts on hate, works with ISPs to establish the legal ground needed to limit the amount of hate, then make sure the ISP lives up to its own rules. The ISPs, if they want to avoid bad press, work hard to ensure that the ADLs will be done. In July 1992, Chicago Public Library Research Librarian David Williams presented his well-documented case of anti-Palestinian censorship and all-around genocidal treatment by Israel to the American Library Association. In response to this presentation based on nine years of research, the ALA passed two Israel-critical resolutions. The ALA took on such an issue because, as then-President Marilyn Miller stated, The American Library Association has engaged in issues of human rights and intellectual freedom around the world since its establishment in 1876. Standing up to Israeli censorship and genocidal policies was a logical continuation of this tradition. The ADL and Jewish librarians were quick to react, however, and through their lobbying, threats, and intimidation tactics, eventually managed to have the resolutions pulled. Jeffrey Blankford, in his article entitled, An Act of Censorship, American Library Association Becomes Another Israeli-Occupied Territory, wrote, In a statement following the rejection of the resolution, Williams pointed out the implications of the entire issue. Quote, the significance of ALA's breaking with the public taboo on criticizing Israel was taken very seriously by the Anti-Defamation League and other Israel lobby groups whose role is to censor, intimidate, and otherwise stifle public criticism of Israel in the United States. It is precisely because of the importance of U.S. aid that they could not afford to let Israel be criticized in such fashion by a mainstream professional organization. Close quote. A law professor at the University of Illinois named Francis Boyle felt, quote, the ADL's wrath, close quote, after he and a colleague began giving lectures critical of Israel. ADL members would attend the lectures and shout Boyle down. Boyle stated, I was really surprised. Here I thought the ADL was this great civil rights organization, and they're doing these things that are totally antithetical to what academic freedom is supposed to be about. The ADL's mission has allegedly been to combat hate. Making hate a crime, obviously, would go a long way in this battle. And so, through the actions and lobbying efforts of the ADL, a new category of crime called hate crime was born. The Fifth Amendment guarantees protection from double jeopardy, that is, being punished for the same crime more than once. The First Amendment guarantees the right to freedom of speech and thought. Hate crime legislation effectively negates both amendments. As Carl Perlston wrote, this focus on eliminating hate logically led to the creation of hate crimes, in which a two-tier system of criminality was created. One, those who commit crimes of violence for any reason other than hate, and two, those who do injuries solely because they hate the status or class of the victim, race, sex, nationality, religion, disability, occupation, sexual orientation, etc. Criminals of the latter class are punished more severely than those of the former, even though both may commit the same violent crime. The punishment is levied on the thought or feeling or state of mind of the criminal and not the action in keeping with the emphasis on eliminating and punishing hateful thoughts and feelings. 
Creating preferred classes of crime victims is not a proper function of the American criminal justice system, nor does it seem desirable to federalize and supplant state criminal law enforcement, which is what results from enacting hate crime legislation at the federal level. The concept of hate crimes inevitably leads to that of hate speech, in which offensive, insensitive, or hurtful speech is legally banned. On January 16, 2004, ADL officials in Florida bragged about the fact that Florida's hate crime laws, quote, were written by the ADL and passed by Florida legislation in 1989. The ADL itself wrote in the introduction to their 1999 hate crimes laws article, ADL has long been in the forefront of national and state efforts to deter and counteract hate-motivated criminal activity. In June 1993, the United States Supreme Court upheld a Wisconsin hate crime statute that was based on model legislation originally drafted by the Anti-Defamation League in 1981. Mo Dallas, the notorious murderous gangster, actually received an award from the Anti-Defamation League in 1985 due to Dallas's very generous financial donations to both the ADO and Israel. A quote from the Las Vegas Review-Journal article entitled The Double Life of Mo Dallas by John L. Smith touches on Dalitz's background. Early in his life, Dalitz was a bootlegger and racketeer mentioned in the same breath as Meyer Lansky and Benjamin Bugsy Siegel. In Cleveland, one longtime member of law enforcement would tell the Kefauver Commission, quote, ruthless beatings, unsolved murders, and shakedowns, threats, and bribery came to this community as a result of gangsters' rise to power, close quote. Dalitz was considered part of that rise. Indeed, Mo Dalitz was killed just four years after receiving the award in a gang shootout that left seven others dead. Meyer Lansky's granddaughter, Mira Lansky Boland, was described in the Village Voice article by Robert Friedman of May 11, 1993 as the ADL's top fact-finder in Washington. Jonathan Paul, while working at the Navy's Anti-Terrorist Alert Center, stole thousands of pages of classified documents for Israel, which, according to federal prosecutors, quote, could fill a room the size of a large closet, 10 feet by 6 feet by 6 feet, close quote. The Navy's Anti-Terrorist Alert Center was where some of the most closely guarded U.S. secrets could be accessed. Pollard was sentenced to life in prison as a result of this massive espionage. Robert Friedman wrote in the Village Voice, Pollard's handler was Avi Sella, an Israeli Air Force colonel whose wife worked for the New York ADL as a lawyer. Pollard later wrote to friends that a prominent ADL leader was deeply involved in the Israeli spy operation. The ADL was not disbanded or otherwise punished for their role in this spy case. In the waning days of the Clinton era, many questionable pardons were granted to infamous criminals. Probably the most noteworthy example of this was the pardon of Mark Rich, quote, a defiant fugitive accused of the biggest tax ripoff in U.S. history, close quote. Clinton made a lot of enemies during his presidency, especially amongst Republicans. So naturally, Republicans led the charge into investigating Pardon Gate. Abe Foxman, director of the ADL, was, quote, mentioned in internal memos of the Freemark Ridge team as a man who could be helpful, close quote. The ADL stated it wanted to help Mark Ridge because of, quote, humanitarian reasons, close quote. In reality, the ADL helped Ridge for two main reasons. First, he was an ardent supporter of Israel. And second, Rich donated a quarter of a million dollars to the ADL in the years leading up to Pardongate. In fact, Abe Foxman, according to Brian Blumquist of the New York Post, quote, admitted he sought a presidential pardon for Mark Rich a month after his group accepted a $100,000 donation from the billionaire financier. 
Verena Dominic of the Chicago Tribune wrote. In January 2000, Zevi Rafiak, an Israeli businessman and friend of Foxman, called to say Rich Foundation head and former Mossad agent Avner Azule wanted to meet the ADL director. That was followed by a note from the foundation pledging $100,000 to the ADL, Foxman said. In February 2000, over dinner in Paris, Foxman suggested to Azule that Rich seek a pardon. Carl Perlston wrote quite plainly that he did not help himself, quote, by dwelling on our national director's central role on behalf of the ADL and devising and wangling a pardon for a criminal fugitive tax evader, Mark Rich, close quote. The ADL's connection with spy extraordinaire Jonathan Pollard, as written by Robert Friedman, deserves to be mentioned again. In 1987, the ADL came under FBI scrutiny in the wake of the Pollard spy scandal. While assigned to the Navy's anti-terrorist alert center, where he had access to the most closely guarded U.S. secrets, Jonathan Pollard stole thousands of pages of classified documents for Israel, which, according to federal prosecutors, could fill a room the size of a large closet 10 feet by 6 feet by 6 feet. Pollard's handler was Avi Sela, an Israeli Air Force colonel whose wife worked for the new ADL as a lawyer. Pollard later wrote to friends that a prominent ADL leader was deeply involved in the Israeli spy operation. Pete McCloskey, a former Republican congressman, said, The number one goal of the ADL is the protection of Israel. Any group whose sole purpose is to protect a foreign nation should not have anything to say about what's said or written here in America. ADL members would attend the Israel Critical Lectures of Francis Boyle and shout Boyle down. Boyle said of the ADL, The ADL was far worse on Jews who criticized Israel than they were on Arabs. They treated them like traitors. The ADL has turned itself into a dirty tricks organization for Israel. Just as the NKVD persecuted Russians and Ukrainians, just as the Joint Terrorism Task Force persecutes Americans, and just as the Gestapo persecuted Germans, the ADL persecutes enemies, Jews and Gentiles alike, of its state, the state of Israel. Tom Girard, San Francisco police officer who provided the ADL fact finder Roy Bullock with SFPD records, was sent to Israel on an all-expenses-paid trip by the ADL. Richard Hershot, the former director of the ADL's San Francisco office, gave testimony stating that, quote, up to half of the ADL's activities in the seven years between 1986 and 1993 had been centered on discrediting political views that disagreed with the organization's support of Israel, close quote. Carl Perlston states quite plainly, The ADL has always been a firm and loyal supporter of Israel. Lenny Brenner met a man named Erwin Swall and later discovered, after a night of drinking, that Mr. Swall was the ADO's top fact-finder at the time. Mr. Brenner was told that the group he supported, the leftist National Association for Irish Justice, had enemies of Israel within it. In other words, the National Association for Irish Justice was being spied on by the ADL for Israel. In its October 4, 1999 press release, the ADL, quote, expressed concern, close quote, about Austria's Patriotic Freedom Party, a party the ADL smears as, quote, right-wing, xenophobic, anti-Europe, close quote. The Freedom Party wants, among other things, some immigration control and the right of the Austrian people to decide what's best for them. Contrast this with ADL's non-stance on the National Union, an Israeli political party that advocates and is working for the transfer of Palestinians from Israel. ADL has yet to issue a press release denouncing the extreme right-wing, xenophobic, anti-Gentile National Union. In fact, 
One need go no further than the ADO's own website for abundant proof of their unabashed support of Israel. The ADO gives advice on how to lobby our politicians for Israel. They even refer to Israel as the Jewish state. The very same Israel that has stockpiled an illegal cache of weapons of mass destruction. That has been carrying on a policy of ethnic cleansing against Palestinians. That attacked the USS Liberty in 1967, killing more than 30 American sailors. That has been the world's leader in the white sex slave trade as written about in the Jerusalem Post magazine of June 16, 2000, and so much more. The ADL officially started its fact-finding in the 1930s from the ADL's website. During this decade, ADL began its major fact-finding operation and began accumulating its famous storehouse of accurate, detailed, unassailable information on extremist individuals and organizations. ADL expanded its staff and began to monitor and investigate the rapidly multiplying fascist groups in the U.S. The fact-finding wasn't just limited to accumulating information. In at least one case, the fact-finding may very well have led to murder. The chairman of the Arab American Anti-Discrimination Committee, Alex Oda, was killed by a booby trap bomb when he opened the door of his office in Santa Ana, California, on October 11, 1985. ADL fact finder Roy Bullock had infiltrated the AADC and had stolen the key to the same office. The three Jewish suspects fled to Israel before the FBI could apprehend them. And even though Bullock had the stolen key of the AADC office in his possession at the time of the bombing, neither he nor any of his employers in the ADL were ever charged in connection with Oda's murder. In 1993, the magnitude of the ADL's spy operation, and really, spy operation is the only way to describe the ADL's activities, became known after police in Los Angeles and San Francisco raided local ADL offices and discovered that ADL was, quote, keeping files on more than 950 political groups, newspapers, and labor unions, and as many as 12,000 people, close quote. Many of the victims were people who, quote, simply opposed the policies of Israel, close quote. California spy scandal was focused on two individuals. The aforementioned Roy Bullock, a man who, quote, was an undercover spy who picked through garbage and amassed secret files for the Anti-Defamation League for nearly 40 years, close quote. And Tom Girard, quote, a former CIA agent and San Francisco police officer accused of providing confidential material from police files to the Anti-Defamation League, close Tom Girard, the ADL's contact in the SFPD, after fleeing to the Philippines, left behind a briefcase that contained, among other items, extensive information on death squads, a black hood, apparently for use in interrogations, and photos of blindfolded and chained men. Investigators suspect that Jared and other police sources gave the ADL confidential driver's licenses or vehicle registration information on a vast number of people. Despite each case of obtaining such information from police being a felony, and added up, thousands of felonies were thus committed. One veteran police officer astutely predicted, Mark my words, this is going to be obfuscated, obliterated, and desecrated. It's going to be a classic study in how things get covered up. You don't do Jewish people in San Francisco. It's not PC, especially when you have two U.S. senators who are Jewish, and the city's chief of protocol is Dick Goldman, a prominent fundraiser in the Jewish community. And this police officer was right, Matt Ivins. 
Although thousands of non-public documents were found in the possession of both Bullock and the ADL, the city offered a settlement agreement to the organization in November of 1993. As a result of the deal, the ADL paid a $75,000 civil fine, most of which went to charitable causes along the lines of the ADL's own interests, such as a hate crimes reward fund, while denying all allegations of wrongdoing. Despite the potential public relations disaster that could have ruined the ADL after this massive spy ring was uncovered, the ADL has continued its questionable methods and has used the information it has gathered via these questionable methods to forge partnerships with law enforcement. In addition to bribing law enforcement officers to give them confidential files as part of their spy operations, the ADL has also been working overtly with law enforcement, getting paid large amounts of money to train police officers and government officials. The ADL has set up what it calls a Law Enforcement Agency Resource Network. As part of this network, the ADL, quote, offers to provide training to police personnel on how to recognize and deal with hate criminals and speech criminals, close quote. In 2002, then-police chief Bernard Parks signed a formal agreement with the Anti-Defamation League in order to allow the Los Angeles Police Department and the ADL to share information in the effort to protect citizens from ADL-declared haters and extremists. The then-Los Angeles Regional Director of the ADL in response to the agreement. We are committed to providing law enforcement agencies with the resources and tools to augment their ongoing efforts. We have extensive resources available to law enforcement, including current and archival information, analysis, and programs. What isn't mentioned is that much of the archival information was obtained illegally. Considering that Los Angeles was one of the cities prominently involved in the ADL spy operation less than a decade earlier, it is quite shocking that the LAPD would enter into such an agreement. But Bernard Parks hasn't been the only high-ranking law enforcement official to ally himself with the Anti-Defamation League. Elmer H. Tippett Jr., Vice President for Public Safety at the Metropolitan Washington Airports Authority, was... Pleasantly surprised to learn of the vast capabilities and the assistance your organization is capable of rendering to law enforcement. L.A. County Undersheriff William T. Stonick. I laud the efforts of the Anti-Defamation League for their foresight and commitment to partnership with law enforcement to ensure that our communities are free of the scourges of bigotry and hate. Through our partnership, we will be able to provide line-level law enforcement with links to community-based organizations, enhanced education, and information sharing that will bring greater efficiencies to our fight against bigotry and hate. The Sheriff's Department stands with our partners in law enforcement and the Anti-Defamation League to lead the fight against racism, sexism, anti-Semitism, homophobia, and bigotry in all its forms. Bill Bratton, former New York City Police Commissioner. ADL's new law enforcement initiative with its new webpage and training curricula will prove to be a significant addition to law enforcement efforts nationwide to deal more effectively with extremists, hate groups, and biased crimes. I applaud their efforts. Chief Donald Martin, President, Bergen County Police Chiefs Association, and Chief, Edgewater, New Jersey Police Department. Freedom from fear and hate is guaranteed under the U.S. Constitution. Every law enforcement official guarantees he will do his best to protect and defend those freedoms. In the conquest of fear and hate, too often the tools upon which law enforcement relies on fall short. This is why I'm sincerely thankful to ADL for providing these essential tools to get rid of the fear and hate. CIA Deputy Director for Intelligence, Johnny McLaughlin. 
For nine decades, the ADL has fought hatred and intolerance and prejudice and discrimination here in America and abroad. Director of the FBI, Robert Mueller, in May 2002. We in the FBI tremendously value your perspectives and your partnership. Your insights and research into extremism are particularly helpful to us, shedding light on the changing nature of the terrorist threats facing America. Your support of hate crime and terrorist investigations, which are now front and center in the work of the FBI, is essential to us. And the training and education you provide for the FBI and for law enforcement have never been more relevant. That includes a conference on extremist and terrorist threats that you are sponsoring later this month at the FBI Academy. So thank you for all these efforts. And again, I look forward to working with you to strengthen our partnership. The Law Enforcement Agency Resource Network also includes training on how law enforcement can better protect American citizens from extremists and haters. On Tuesday, April 16th, 2002, the ADL hosted a meeting of the Committee on Terrorism of the International Association of Chiefs of Police. This committee, chaired by a senior FBI official from Washington, heard presentations from ADL experts on Islamic fundamentalism and domestic terrorism, and saw a demonstration of ADL's Learn website and new CD-ROM guide to extremism in America. In October 2002, the ADL sent out a press release in which they declared, By the end of 2002, more than 1,000 Colorado police officers will have completed the Anti-Defamation League's anti-bias training. On March 25, 2003, the ADL, with the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the United States Attorney's Office, held a conference entitled Domestic Terrorism from Detection to Response. Joanna Libros, ADL Director of Investigative Research, Southern Region, and Coordinator of the Conference. This conference was used as a resource, not only for law enforcement officials to update their methods, but to build relationships with officers from around the Southeast. On May 8, 2003, Robert A. Martin, the Anti-Defamation League's Director of Security, addressed the International Association of Chiefs of Police Committee on Terrorism at the organization's mid-year meeting in Dallas, Texas. The meeting was also attended by representatives of the Dallas Police Department and the Dallas FBI. Mr. Martin gave an overview of ADL and its expertise in domestic terrorism and hate crimes. In July 2003, the ADL gave hate crime training to officers in Gloucester, Massachusetts, according to the ADL. The training is a follow-up to a more limited ADL hate crimes training in which the department had participated, along with 200 other police departments throughout Massachusetts, in 2000. This instruction is the latest in a current series of law enforcement training sessions in ADL's New England region. In June, ADL provided similar training to chiefs and senior detectives in 15 Massachusetts communities. January 14, 2004, Vermont's local paper, the Rutland Herald, published an article exposing the fact that the ADL sent 16 high-level law enforcement personnel to Israel for training so that our law enforcement officers could, quote, learn from the Israelis, close quote. The Anti-Defamation League of B'nai B'rith, far from being a benevolent civil rights organization, is a ruthless suppressor of not only critics of Jews, but most emphatically the ADL is also a ruthless suppressor of critics of Israel. The ADL smears people as diverse as American survivalists, conservative Christians, married couples, and even Jews who step out of line. The ADL works at censoring everything from movies, to the internet, to our very thoughts. The ADL has had ties to organized criminals, spies, and notorious fugitives. The ADL is a proud supporter of the apartheid state of Israel, 
a nation that has committed more acts of war against us than the former Yugoslavia and Iraq combined. The ADL has repeatedly spied on American citizens, predominantly those who have held Israel-critical biases. All of these acts by the ADL are, in and of themselves, not much more than illegal nuisances. The real danger of the ADL lies in the subverting of our law enforcement personnel. For when we have high-ranking federal officials and police officers making such statements as, The Sheriff's Department stands with our partners in law enforcement and the Anti-Defamation League to lead the fight against racism, sexism, anti-Semitism, homophobia, and bigotry in all its forms. In complete ignorance of the law and the Bill of Rights, then we have some deadly serious problems. For as the late founder of the National Alliance, Dr. William Pierce declared, The ADL alone is bad enough. The ADL teamed up with corrupt policemen all across the country should be a nightmare for every decent American. Now, there's a lot more that we can go into on the ADL. As a matter of fact, I have a book here called The Ugly Truth About the ADL. It came out in 92 from the Executive Intelligence Review in Washington, D.C. This is astounding. This is not something that I could talk about on the air because it uh, it would take days to cover everything that's in here. These people are evil. I have, and I can tell you right now, I have friends of mine who are Jewish who detest the ADL. Because of what they've done and the bad name they've given Jews in the United States. Now, the second one we're going to talk about is the Southern Poverty Law Center. Now, one of the founders was, was a guy named Dees. And I had, I had uh, dealing with him you know, before the turn of the century, before 2000. I used to write under the name of the Gunrunner. And it was very patriotic and the whole nine yards and he would come up he would argue with me and it was he was an idiot and it turns out he was both a a criminal and an idiot because they kicked him out of the organization recently but there is a there's a little bit here on the uh, the truth about the SPLC now I have a couple different clips that I put together for this one Shutting down people you don't agree with is about as un-American as you can get. Rigorous debate, honest discussion, open exchange of ideas, that's the American way. But free thinking and speech are threatened today by a group with a sweet-sounding name that conceals a nefarious purpose. This group is called the Southern Poverty Law Center, or SPLC. Originally founded as a civil rights law firm in 1971, the SPLC reinvented itself in the mid-80s as a political attack group. Every year now, it produces a new list of people and charities it claims are extremists and haters. Aided by glowing coverage from the establishment media, the SPLC's hate list has become a weapon for taking individuals and groups they disagree with and tarring them with ugly associations. The SPLC employs a two-pronged strategy. First, find a handful of crazies with barely any followers, no address, and no staff, and blow them up into a dangerous movement. Proof that there are neo-Nazis lurking everywhere. On their notorious hate map, the SPLC lists 917 separate hate groups in the U.S. No one has even heard of more than a handful of them. The second strategy of the SPLC is to undermine legitimate political voices that they oppose by associating them with extremists like the KKK. Take the charity known as the Alliance Defending Freedom. The SPLC lists them as a hate group. Is that fair? Well, the ADF has a network of 3,000 attorneys from all across the U.S., who've donated more than a million volunteer hours in defense 
defense of religious liberty. They've had a role in 49 victories at the U.S. Supreme Court. Putting the Alliance Defending Freedom on a list with 130 Ku Klux Klan chapters is not only wrong, it's malicious. According to the SPLC, one of the most influential social scientists in the U.S., Charles Murray, is a, quote, white nationalist. Ayan Hirsi Ali, perhaps the most eloquent spokesperson for the rights of Muslim women, is to the SPLC a toxic anti-Muslim extremist. Scores of other individuals and charities active in mainstream conservative or religious causes have likewise been branded by the Southern Poverty Law Center as threats to society. Mind you, it is entirely fair to disagree with any of those folks, but it is utterly unfair to call them haters or extremists. The largest category listed by the SPLC as extremists, with 623 entries, covers groups like the Tea Party organizations that are wary of centralized government. Last time we checked, favoring smaller government was a mainstream and perfectly honorable American tradition. What is not honorable is the course prescribed by a leader of the SPLC, Mark Potok, who was caught on video proclaiming the organization's true intentions. He told a group of supporters, quote, The press will describe us as monitoring hate groups. I want to say plainly that our aim in life is to destroy these groups, to completely destroy them. Portraying someone with political views different from your own as a public menace is bullying. And it's a dangerous game. Instead of reducing hate and violence, the SPLC's name-calling directly incites it. In March 2017, Charles Murray was trying to discuss his acclaimed book, Coming Apart, at Middlebury College, when he was violently attacked by protesters inflamed by the SPLC's labeling of him as a racist. A professor escorting Murray ended up in the hospital. In 2012, a gunman attempted mass murder at the Family Research Council and failed only because the first man he shot managed to disarm him. The attacker told the police he acted because the SPLC had listed the Family Research Council as a hate group. It's a vicious irony. While promoting itself as a monitor of hate groups, the SPLC has in practice become a fomentor of hate. Yet the group rolls on, bigger than ever. What keeps them going? For one thing, the establishment media constantly quote them. Scare stories about right-wing stormtroopers are a sure way to attract eyeballs and fit nicely with the media's own preconceptions of the dangerous reactionaries lurking out there in middle America. Second, alarmism is a great fundraising technique. Convincing people there are fascists everywhere has turned the SPLC into a cash machine. Last year, the group hustled $50 million out of frightened liberal donors, adding to the 368 million dollars of assets they were already sitting on. So the next time you see the Southern Poverty Law Center quoted in the news, just remember the masterminds behind the SPLC aren't eliminating hate. They are fueling it. I'm Carl Zinsmeister for Prager University. For years, the SPLC's bullying of conservatives and typical everyday Americans amounted to that of an annoying, blood-sucking mosquito. But the temptation of that untapped vein appears to be leading to the downfall of the SPLC. Since the early 1970s, SPLC founder Morris Dees had fed on the civil rights victory of wrestling down the last remnants of the Democratic Party creation known as the Ku Klux Klan, drinking from its wealthy liberal donors, which also led 
to the SPLC's nine-figure endowment. But how do you keep the hate-fighting money rolling in when Generation X, the children of integration, all got along for the most part, and the dying culture of racism in America seemed to be on its last leg? Well, you rebrand racism. Fuel it with Marxist critical theory and deliver that to the gullible little brothers and sisters of Generation X, the millennials. As the Washington Free Beacon reported, the Southern Poverty Law Center, a left-wing nonprofit known for its hate group designations, now has $92 million in offshore investment funds, according to financial statements. The SBLC has been thriving since President Donald Trump entered the White House. The controversial organization reported $477 million in total assets and $132 million in contributions on its most recent tax forms. Millions flowed to the group following the deadly Charlottesville, Virginia attacks from employees at companies including J.P. Morgan Chase and Apple, as well as from actors such as George Clooney. And so here we are, up to our necks in divide-and-conquer hysteria. In the midst of it, Proud Boys founder, political commentator, and fellow Generation Xer Gavin McGinnis has had enough. The SPLC has positioned themselves with such immense power that they are now infiltrating not just big tech, where they decide who can say what, but they're getting involved in banking and they're getting involved with the way everyone can do business. They're bankrupting people and they're ruining innocent people's careers. I mean, I'm doing this as much for me as I'm doing it for Deputy Brian Green, who was fired from uh, Louisiana law enforcement for being a proud boy. This guy volunteered doing women's self-defense on the weekends. He's a stalwart of the community, graduated head of his class in the academy, and he's now lucky if he can get air conditioning work. This is actually worse than communism, because in communism, you would go to the gulag, you'd go to the re-education camp, and you'd come back vindicated. In today's America, with this witch hunt, you're never vindicated. So once you're a bigot, once you're a homophobe, racist, transphobe, anti-Semite, whatever, that's permanently on your record, thanks to the SPLC, and you can never re- recover from that. Like the people that I'm representing here, the people that I'm fighting for, they'll always be Googleable as part of a hate group. And they, you know, the SPLC starts with bona fide bigots, maybe like 5% of their total list. And then they just spread that out and include everyone remotely Christian, everyone remotely conservative, and they make this massive hate map that makes America look like a racist hellhole. The Family Research Council, the black security guard was shot defending them, and the the guy who shot them said he wanted to kill as many people as he could. The Steve Scalise shooting was based on the SPLC hate group. Just the other day, Charles Murray was at Middlebury College, and the students were so rabid that they attacked, a professor who got in the way of the attack was hospitalized. This is all due to the SPLC's hate groups. They are fomenting hate. They are a hate group. And as PJ Media reported, Baltimore attorney Glenn Keith Allen is suing the Southern Poverty Law Center for racketeering, wire fraud, defamation, and other claims. Among other things, Allen's suit demands a court judgment against the SPLC's 501c3 tax-exempt status, which could seriously cripple the organization. Even the FBI has recently taken the Southern Poverty Law Center off their list of credible organizations 
politicians. It's not just conservative groups that have attacked SPLC. They've also been reprimanded by Obama's Department of Justice. Uh, they were also criticized by the U.S. Army for labeling Christians extremists. Even liberal journalists and some left-leaning news media have criticized SPLC. And Stephen Bright of the Southern Center for Human Rights called the SPLC founder a con man and fraud. And so the group is determined, literally as they say themselves, to wipe out or to eliminate groups with which they disagree. And they've gone after people all over the country, trying to attack them, trying to put them out of business. And the danger is they're doing it in a way that people won't know what is right and what is wrong. Because when you label a group as a hate group, some people believe it. None of the Christian organizations that are on the Southern Poverty Law Center's site that have been recently placed there in the last five years that engage in public policy, none of them advocate violence against anyone in our society. Major companies and government institutions are listening to them and using the material and taking action based on the material. That's the problem. Some organizations have lost their landing page for credit card processing on their websites. Some people have lost their URLs with GoDaddy and others shutting down the URLs of some of these groups. Banks are taking action based on this. Credit card processing companies, insurance companies, internet providers, and other high-tech service organizations are cutting off dealings with organizations that get labeled a hate group. We've got to do something about this. We have an opportunity to challenge their narrative. And the truth always wins. It might come in a little late, but I promise you, it's always going to show up. So it's critical. This is a great time for Christians and for conservatives to show up. The best way you can to fight back is support those groups that are being attacked by this leftist organization. Because their desire is not just to silence those groups. Their desire is to silence you. Now I'll tell you something. I never thought about it until I heard that clip. But... For the past few years, we've been having problems with credit card processing companies. And we've never committed any fraud. We've never had any chargebacks. We haven't had any problems. But all of a sudden, we're starting to have all these problems. And it might not be what I think it is. It might be, who knows, something that stems from the SPLC and the time that I screwed around with Morris D's. All right, the the last one that I want you to hear about is the ACLU. Now, the ACLU is a is a communist organization. And if you remember, communism was, the concept of communism wasn't created by these people, but it was codified and put into serious form by Jews. The communism came to the United States. It, communism came to Russia by some Jews. Communism came to the United States by some Jews. And it's not... All Jews are that way, not even close. But the ACLU was started by some communists. Well, you'll hear about it. You'll understand it. We'll talk more afterwards. May 19, 1917. Roger Nash Baldwin has founded the Bureau of Conscientious Objectors for the purpose of helping draft dodgers develop practical strategies of resistance and to provide them with financial and legal support. On October 1st, 1917, he renamed the organization, this time as the National Civil Liberties Bureau. Soon afterwards, the post office would declare his propaganda unmailable because of its radical and subversive views. His offices were then raided by the FBI and its files confiscated. 
Twelve days later, Roger was called to register for the draft. He resisted the draft and was promptly arrested and brought to trial. While in court, he professed his commitment to anarchism and his allegiance to socialist reform. He was then sentenced to a year in the penitentiary. After his release from prison, he set about trying to salvage what was left of his Civil Liberties Bureau. On January 20, 1920, Roger Baldwin moved to offices on West 13th Street in New York and shared them with the Communist Party's New Masses tabloid. He also reincorporated and renamed it for the third and final time as the American Civil Liberties Union, or the ACLU. Some of the original members of the ACLU were Norman Thomas, who was six times the Socialist Party's candidate for president, William Foster, chairman of the Communist Party USA, Max Eastman, editor of the Communist Party's paper, The Masses, Harry Ward, who, according to the congressional record, maintained membership and affiliation with over 200 communist or communist front organizations, and Clarence Darrow, who dazzled the nation as a flamboyant and articulate defense attorney and anti-Christian crusader. During the first 60 years, a full 90% of the cases that the ACLU defended involved communists. As a result, the ACLU was stigmatized as a communist front organization itself. Roger Baldwin stated, I am for socialism, disarmament, and ultimately for abolishing the state itself as an instrument of violence and compulsion. I seek social ownership of property, the abolition of the property class, and sole control by those who produce wealth. Communism is the goal. It all sums up into one single purpose, the abolition of dog-eat-dog -dog under which we live. Roger Baldwin would also join scores of front organizations, which years later, in 1976, he would admit were essentially recruiting centers for the Communist Party. To this day, every member of the ACLU is either a communist, well, they're all Democrats, but they're either communists or socialists or so far to the left that a sane person wouldn't recognize them. And this is, this is just the way they are. So... You need to understand these organizations are your enemy. Now, whether you're an American or not is irrelevant, unless you want to make use of them, of course. And by the way, the ACLU will never do it. Never take a, a firearm uh, lawsuit. They'll, they'll never defend anybody against losing their rights in the United States. Unless you're a black, a Mexican, a minority, a sexual pervert, you know, a white male, forget about ever going to the ACLU. It is just ain't going to work. The ADL, the SPLC, and the ACLU are three of the largest organizations in the United States that have actively worked for decades to destroy the concept of America. Okay, so forewarned is forearmed, theoretically. So I've told, given you the information on this. I've told you what I can tell you on it uh, in the little amount of time that I had. Ladies and gentlemen, there's so much happening right now that you really need to start paying attention if you haven't so a lot of you you know that you sit around you listen to a bunch of different people talk on a radio and you and you think that you know what's going on but you really do have to pay attention to what's happening around you because things are going to change fast every day i'm going out and doing some shopping i'm buying i'm buying more food of certain types like today they just had Bonus skinless chicken breasts on sale, dollar thirty-eight a pound. So my wife just bought thirty pounds of it. And what we do is we we wrap it up in cellophane, freeze it, and then vacuum pack it. 
and stick it in the freezer. That will be good five years from now. You need to think ahead. You need to do this right now. Most of you have already thought ahead. Most of you bought food and you stored it. Most of you have things that you need. Most of you don't need anything right now. But if you do, you better buy it. And I'll tell you, you want to blow your mind. I was just at Costco yesterday. Where do you think tire tire companies get their tires from? The majority of the materials comes out of China. In fact, I think I told you that last show or the show before. The majority of tire materials comes out of China. I was at Costco yesterday, and their tire department is one quarter the size of what it used to be. And I asked the manager uh, or the guy that works in there, I said, why do you have so many few tires out here? And he said, because the warehouses don't have any tires to send us. That's because China is shut down. Nothing's coming out of China. And between you and me, anything that doesn't come out of China, I won't even... If it, if there's anything that's come out of China in the past month, I won't even go in that store. Because I have no idea if there's a virus or a bacteria or a fungus or something hanging on it. And, and I told you uh, last show that I bought some clothing from China. And it was so inundated with fungicide that I had to take it back. I went into the dollar store and I bought a bunch of um, potholders. I do because we want, you know, want new potholders, and they're cheap, two for a dollar. So I go and buy them. They smelled of that fungicide so much. I ended up I washed them twice, soaked them in vinegar, soaked them in bleach, and it didn't get the smell out. So I ended up just throwing them out. And I've told I told the stores this as well, and they like, well, I don't know, it's just uh, yeah, maybe oh, blah 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 blah. You know who cares? They don't care. And as people get sick and die, everyone around them go, yeah, well, you know, it happens. Yeah, it doesn't need to happen to you. So you need to take heed to things that I've said. Take all the data that I've given you in the past past few months. Start putting it together. You need something? Go out and get it now. I'm telling you, within 60 to 90 days, there is not going to be anything there. There are, and I told you about this, there are thousands of container ships sitting outside of China. They cannot dock. They have frozen meat in them. You know, we send the majority of our pigs, our pig carcasses over to China to process, and then they ship them back. Guess what? Those pig carcasses are sitting off the shore of China rotting right now. Thousands of containers that are that are frozen containers that are supposed to be plugged in to keep frozen. Well, they can't plug them in because China won't allow them to dock. Anyway, pay attention to what's going on. And if you get anything that you think I need to know about, get a hold of me. Go to armchairsurvivalist.com. Down at the bottom is my email address. You can send me an email. I have people sending me stuff from all over the world. And my son is, is, is hard at work on the dark web finding things that you, you will not see. Because the mainstream media, in collusion with our deep state government, does not want us to know the truth in any way, shape, or form. Otherwise, we there would be a revolution right now. They'll just wait and see how many of us die off and make it easier for them. Anyway, uh... You need stuff from us. SurvivalEnterprises.com, SE1.us. We have the things that can fight 
any virus, including the Wuhan virus, is our colloidal silver, our oregano oil, our ultimate immune boost, uh, our B6, B12, folic acid, uh, sublingual pills. This is the same things that you heard Cliff High talk about on a previous show. Anyway, this is the Armchair Survivalist signing off. Please keep your nose in the air and your ear to the ground and take care. And I'll see you next weekend.